Hello, we are Terra Nova, a horror podcast. We're hosted by Kendall and Jackie. And here we talk about everything, well, horror. And this podcast is specifically for you, the horror fans, and also the non-horror fans. If you're too scared to watch the movies, it's fine. We talk about it, we discuss it, we dissect it, we laugh about it, talk about the good, the bad, the tropes, and new episodes are launched every Monday. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TerranovaPod. And more importantly, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. And tell your dog too. Cujo. <laughs> Hello, everybody. What's up? Hello, sir. What's going on, Jackie? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good today. So today's going to be one of our topic episodes. And it's going to be a really interesting one because we're talking about black actors in horror movies. Yep. Not just black actors, of course, but the whole trope of the token in horror films. Anyone who is, I guess, remotely even human has an understanding of what a token is and what how it's been used, not just in the horror genre, but we're going to talk about that today. And black people and Asian and everyone else is a huge part of that conversation. During this weekend, we were watching this documentary called Horror Noir, Black Horror. And it basically talks about the trope itself, the whole token trope. And it digs, it digs really, really deep into the history, um, even dating back to like the 1930s even how much that you know we don't really see like how we see now you know thank god for jordan peele you know for giving <laughs> us get out and us it, it was just a very interesting you know history lesson you know and you know in the documentary they said it they said it best that you know black history is black horror is black horror which it is horrifying yeah you know? what was your uh to get into it i guess like what is your what was your first impression of the documentary did it exceed expectations did it Get it right on the head. What did you kind of think of it? I thought it definitely exceeded expectations. I definitely enjoyed it. You know, like, I mean, some of the stuff like, I kind of knew about it. Because, you know, watching horror movies since three years old. But it, it elaborated more of, like, the history. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how I really deep, where it really rooted from. And the different ways cinema really showed its racism. Because, I mean, let's face it, Hollywood is racist. We always known it. We've always known it for years, and it has never changed, even now. Yep. And I definitely enjoyed it. And what about you? I loved it. This was my second time watching it. Uh, the first time I saw it was actually a few months ago. I, I remember seeing uh, the horror horror platform or horror Netflix, as some people call it, Shutter. They were promoting it very heavily a few months back. Uh, I'm sure it was because of you know the you know recently we had George Floyd and all that stuff and. During mm-hmm. that, the conversation once again popped up about representation. So I saw that Shutter was heavily uh, promoting this. And I was like, oh, great. I would love to watch this. I wonder what they're going to talk about. Like, So this it would be a lot of fun. And uh, I, yeah, so it was, it was fun to visit it again. And it was, it was really good. Uh, definitely a good good amount of humor in it. Good amount of history lessons. A good, just a good little good everything. It revisited a lot of films that I love. It went through some films that I haven't seen before. It, it did a little bit of everything, so I really loved it. Yeah, and the documentary is also based on a book as well called the similar title, Horror Noir, by um, Robin R. Coleman, who also kind of dwelled on it, you know, the whole aspects of it. And again, it's something I've always known about, because, you know, like, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, you know, like, I'm Latina. We, we see all these things, we see all these tropes, you know, there's even tropes for my people, but... And then it goes back to the history where, um, so in the documentary, they also mentioned that how, you know, the birth of a nation, that movie, 
was the staple of it because, you know, they had blackface, which they've always used blackface. And that was like to show America, like, oh, this is, this is the role of a black man. He, he's the villain. He's this, he's that. The tokenism, you know, of it. And that's kind of how it first started. And that's how it starts off the documentary. Each time like, when they talk about different eras of black cinema, with the 70s, 80s, 90s, even now, they tend to go back to that because that's how America viewed people of color. Yeah. That's how they viewed it. And then they, 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 they advertise it as, and this is based on a true story. This is fact. This is this, this is that. And then it snowballed into all the different sub subjects, like sub genres of the token. Yeah, it was like it, it, that pretty much was the blueprint for the beginning. And then everything going forward was kind of a, a small offshoot of that, whether it was in showing black people as like servants in some way or just uh, caricatures, as some people used to use that term of, of themselves, where they were just over the top, like, yes, a boss and all of that cool stuff. And uh, like the some of that stuff we can laugh at a little bit now, but at that time, it was very much the way uh, black people were portrayed in the media. And, you know, everyone's faced it in some capacity. Like Jackie said, she's Puerto Rican, but everybody's faced it in some capacity. Asian people had to deal with um, people doing yellow face, basically painting up white people to try to look like different races. It's very weird. I'm sure a lot of people know the history of it. If you don't, you can. I would say, one, you can watch the documentary because it's really good in general and it's fun. It's not like a depressing ride. <laughs> it's It's really good and informative. But at the same time, you could totally do your own research on like these particular topics and how things are. But it's it's good to know that's that's kind of how he started there. And the representation from that going forward is uh, obviously still a work in progress. Yeah. So we have all of these different uh, interpretations of, of different races that pretty much aren't white on film in so many different ways. And it's good to see in, in a lot of ways things have changed. In some ways, these characters have evolved. In some ways, they haven't. We've left a few on kind of on uh, Death's Door, which is, is the worst thing. But I really enjoyed uh, how they went through all of the genres of, of how black people kind of got better rep represented. That that was really fun to me. Mm -hmm. One thing I actually wanted to ask you, because uh, it, it just came to mind, we're going to bounce around a bit, but it, it came to mind because a friend of mine was actually asking me this the other day when we were watching a horror movie. Uh, because she, she knows uh, I've been watching horror films since, pretty, I always say since I can pretty much walk. Or <laughs> because I'm a family night in my house is um, horror movies. I mean, I think you said you used to do the same thing at your house. Family night was horror movies. Yeah. So uh, my, my one question my friend actually asked me was she said, do you think uh, she was like, did the representation and like did the representation of black people or just representation in general in horror in a horror genre? Has it ever kind of made you reconsider your love for the genre? It depends. Because like. Even in certain movies, like, you know, I love all the, you know, Nightmare Elm Street movies. I love all the. Friday 13th mm -hmm. movies, even though that they had certain characters, they were kind of still killed off, but they were just like very stereotypical. So I was just like, okay. Um, <laughs> but it depends. It depends on the movie. It depends on what the movie's about. Because if, if it's going to be like one of those movies where it's just like they die first, or it's the funny guy who's also a person of color that dies first, it's like, mm, I've seen it before. Like, let's just go on to the ending. Let me see who it is. This is, you know. Scooby Doo and just see who the hell it is. What about you? Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I I would never say that like representation made me hate or love the genre. Like even as a kid watching, like you kind of like what you said. I grew up watching Freddy, Chucky, Michael Myers, Jason, Pumpkinhead, Candyman, all of these different things. Puppet Master, which we we could go on and on about the different all the different horror films and the characters. 
And I never really, like, I, as a kid, of course, you, kids are smart enough to recognize if somebody looks like them. So that part was clear. I was pretty, I pretty easily recognized that none of the characters on screen looked like me. However, I, I at the same time, I'm a kid, so I didn't let it, like, make me hate anything. I didn't dislike it or like it more because of it. I just kind of was like, well, these, I, I'm here because these characters are cool. And either things that kind of are taking place are interesting and it's it's family night. So <laughs> I wasn't exactly in the position to tell everybody, let's turn this off. But uh, but even despite that, I, I got into this because it was fun. I always I always looked at as my love for, for horror grew. I always looked at horror kind of like hip hop. It's like, you know, hip hop. It's it's kind of anti it's kind of rebellious. Hip hop as a genre is kind of rebellious. Mm-hmm. You're, you're fortunate to get all of the genres of music and hip-hop so you get jazz you get even reggaeton you get pop music you get punk you get rock you get a little bit of everything within hip-hop and i've always viewed horror in that way and and honestly i would say in some ways the film industry as a whole has always viewed horror in that way like they didn't really give horror a lot of respect as a genre Mm -hmm. they didn't give a lot of respect uh to all of the different things i was able to touch on whether it was you know really creative ways they did effects or really interesting characters or characters that were deeper than they kind of were. So I, I kind of just looked at hip hop from that kind of level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've kind of, sorry, I've always looked at horror from that kind of level. And as I got older, I really viewed it that way. So I didn't let the representation kind of defer me. And, you know, it is what it is. I knew when a brother came on screen, he was going to die. But it was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just kind of came with it. If it was like the person's not white, there's a high likelihood they're not going to make it. So <laughs> it was something you kind of dealt with. But the films, I feel like, were so good, I kind of didn't pull myself away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. It's just crazy. Like, I want to get more into it as we go on because, like, it's just, it's just so much. Because it's, it's the same thing. Like, it never really, like, kept me away from liking it or disliking it. It was just more so of like, yeah, like you said, like, you already know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I was just like, okay, yeah, just let it happen, whatever. Let's go be do it. Let's find out who it is and then just call it a day, you know, and then wait to see if there's like a sequel, uh, a, a trilogy or a fourth one or a fifth one or like a 13th film, like they're like Friday 13th. <laughs> Pretty much. It was like if, if I saw a black person on the screen, which I can't even remember back watching a lot of those horror movies, if there were any that come to mind, at least none that I could remember. Um, so remember, once again, I was only born in 89. So the horror movies that were then was around like, let's go maybe four years from there, 93. We got like Freddy and a few other ones. I can't remember any like mainstream mm-hmm. horror films that starred black people or even had black people in a prominent role. Mm-hmm. But when that black character came on screen, I was like, I was in there. I was like, yeah, man, I gotta see this dude, because I want even if he don't, he dies. I bet he gonna do something cool before he die. Like, yeah, <laughs> he gonna crack some jokes. <laughs> he gonna do something. So like, I want to see what he does, and maybe he makes it. It was actually kind of a game. It was like, let's see if the brother makes it. Maybe there's a chance. So, you know, you like you said, this stuff was like Scooby Doo. You kind of want to see what happens. So that's kind of how you dealt with it. And it's funny because like again, we always talk about, we always mention Scream. Mm-hmm. Because, again, Scream always, like, kind of breaks the fourth wall when talking about tropes and all this stuff. And I remember in Scream 3, one of the actors was black. And I remember they were all in this house. And he was saying, I think he got the role to play Randy. And he was in the house and he was just like, I'm getting out because I'm going to die first. I don't want to <laughs> die first, so I'm leaving. But 
And he still ended up dying anyway. And I was just like, oh, man. Because <laughs> he knew. He knew. He was just like, I'm just a comedy guy who just dies. That's, that's all I am. And again, like, that's that's why I appreciate Scream. Like, Wes Craven's Scream was just genius. Because they, they knew about the tropes. They knew about all all this stuff. They always mention it in yep. the movie. Yeah, and it's it's always good. At least horror over the years kind of joked about it and made fun of it. It became such a pop culture reference that people was like, yep, that's that's kind of what happens. Like, they made fun of it even in, like, I remember, uh, this isn't even a horror, but, like, not another teen movie. Uh, I don't know if you, you remember that, but the, I forgot I forgot the actor's name. The black dude, black guy that was in there, I forgot his name. Um, but he was even in it, and there, he, there was literally a scene in that film where him and another black guy met up at a party by accident. Like, they didn't mean to both be there, but they literally joked about how, like, one of them had to leave. <laughs> it was like, you know they can't have more than one brother at a party. And they were like, <laughs> yo. And they were like, damn, shit. That's whack. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, everybody joked about it for years. And I'm happy that the movie mentioned it and definitely talked about it. Like, you know, yeah, it was it was cool. It was just really cool how they they walked through all of that. They gave us a really nice stroll through history. I, I love this documentary. Um, And then they mentioned um one of the first, like, black directors, Spencer Williams. Because um, back in, like, you know, the 60s and 50s. Yes. There was an era where there were black cinema. It existed. It happened. It was being written. It was being directed. You know, black people were being represented as normal people. You know, being scientists, being doctors, being, you know, lawyers, being all the stuff, being normal. You know, and not being betrayed as, you know, the voodoo priestess, the help, um, you know, the the buffoon. They were normal people. You know, and, you know, they were saying that how like it was just refreshing <laughs> to see that. You know, it was, it was like a light of fresh air, like, oh, you know, like, look, we're, we're, we're intelligent, <laughs> you know, we, we speak normal. We're not, you know, using, you know, slang words or like typical lingos that, you know, what people think that's what black people say all the time, you know, and, and then and then it, it then it rushed into yeah. um, the space era. You know, like, um, and that was when they started having, like, all these movies about space and invention and like in a documentary, they mentioned how, like, you never saw black people in those movies because there was, as they said, there was no place for them in a laboratory. They weren't needed. And so then they casted them as, well, of course, the monsters, you know, with the finding features that they were just like, okay, I, I know what you're trying to do, especially like King Kong. You know, King Kong is a big staple of that. King Kong is, is a representation of racism. Yeah, very much so. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I even knew that for a long time, until it just, you know, it was probably pointed out to me by a few different people. But uh, I've, we've always heard. I remembered always hearing about how people said that uh, these monsters in a lot of films were essentially black people or people of color because they didn't want them in the film. Like basically, they wouldn't put them in the film, so that was their one way in. Mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing that even when I was a kid, and I, I remember hearing that even now to this day. Like people said that for like, uh, I think people said that for like, uh, damn, what was the name of that film? Film that was based on like a video game, might be Warcraft or something like that. I think people were saying that. I think in that case mm-hmm. it was accurate for a reason. But even then, like people have been saying that for a long time. That that has never gone away. So it's it's really interesting to see that they kind of knew that even, people kind mm-hmm. of recognized that even back then. And and that that thinking kind of never went away. And even people today in 2020 are like, yep, that that's true. <laughs> we still kind of believe that. So it's 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 it was a really good analysis of that situation. I never thought of it from a historical perspective. I've always thought of it through the social commentary that I hear today. 
And it's funny because like, um, what was it? You know, back in, a, I think a couple of years ago, you know, my name dropped, but like TCM, kind of classic movies, they always give like horror movies for the whole month of October. Mm-hmm. They gave a movie actually, I think a couple of years ago, where there was like some alien that was attacking people and the alien actually had Asian features. Oh, wow. So, and it was a black and white film. Yeah. And, you know, at first I didn't think about it until years later and including now and I was just like, oh my God, you're racist. <laughs> you know, like the, the monster is literally an Asian monster. He's dressed in like traditional like Chinese wear. He has like the, the, the stereotypical look of how they define, you know, an Asian person. The eyes, the, the little like mustache and all the stuff and he was like green and stuff it was just like wow okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i always always tell people um, when it comes to stuff like that that people perceive as racist which they definitely are in my opinion but when it comes to situations like that that people perceive as like racist or biased or discriminative i always say the reason why people usually point it out in that way is because they're not seen anywhere else like if there was a fine balance of like the film maybe had some asian characters included or in general, we're used to seeing like enough different kinds of people that aren't just white on screen, then people probably wouldn't be as highly criti- critical of seeing characters that maybe look like them mm-hmm. as a monster. Mm-hmm. I think people would be slightly less critical of it if they saw themselves a little more. And it's true. And it, it kind of like goes back to like school days. Like, you know how like you're in a play, in a school play, mm-hmm. only the popular kids get the lead roles. And if like a nerd, or like not important <laughs> you'd be in the background as a tree or like <laughs> you're like just this like a, like an extra like oh you're just an extra person or you're a tree and it, it reminds me of that it's just like that yeah and it's just this is crazy feels like that uh you being a huge horror buff that you are uh i always say my jackie definitely has probably seen more horror movies than me not due to age <laughs> just due to how much she loves the genre wow <laughs> she is not a, she is a age. horror lover not the to age. You're like Wally. You're like a year younger than me. <laughs> Whatever, man. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I feel so disrespected. But I said it's, it's not due to age. You're just very knowledgeable <laughs> about the field. You love the space. It ain't got nothing to do with age. But uh, what, if, what was the first horror film you could think of where you seen like yourself? You felt like you saw yourself represented on screen. I guess the craft in a way. Like um, mm-hmm. um, oh, God, I forgot her name. But the character, the black actress, you know, I love how she got her revenge. Oh, yes. Uh, Rachel True, I believe her name is. Yeah, like, I love how she got her revenge on that blonde chick, bon- like, you know, Bonnie, whatever the, her name was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, he was trying to come, in terms, come to terms, like, even when she was, like, you know, talking to, to the girls when they were doing the whole circle stuff, she was just like, yeah, like, I just, just want to be able to love myself and not let anybody you know, hate me or hate any, anybody else. But like, I felt, I felt good about seeing her, you know, I was just like, oh, okay. I like that, <laughs> you know, I feel like the her, you know, in some sense, not exactly, but still, <laughs> you know, not pale, like everybody, like the other half. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I'm gonna say that for that role. Yeah. Like, I felt good about that. That, cause like, there's not many movies. You know, like, I think the one time I saw, like, a Latina in a film was, like, Jacob's Ladder. But then she turned into, like, some alien demonic creature. And I'm just like, okay, we're doing that now? Okay. <laughs> what um, the hell? <laughs> yeah, she turned into some weird demonic creature in this club. But I'm just like, Ugh, okay. <laughs> okay, whatever. I don't know if I've seen Jacob Ladder, but that sounds a little weird. Yeah, Jacob Ladder is really trippy. It's a trippy-ass movie. 
That's about it. Yeah. What about you? Uh, all right. Well, if I had to think like black person, like if I'm going just broad like that, I, the first black person I recall seeing in a horror film was Tony Todd and Candyman. Mm-hmm. That's the first one I can re- recall. It's the first one that comes to mind as well. Mm-hmm. But that's the first one I can recall. Cause I got what the first Candyman came out in what was that like 96 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was somewhere around. It was definitely in the nineties. So let's say like 96, I would probably have been about seven years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be the first first time because I've, I've watched like I said as a kid was watching a lot of horror films but I can't remember any characters outside of him that were black like even as like even not even like a villain or anything but just like who played a role in the film um, I might have seen Night of the Living Dead as a kid but I don't remember too well I might have seen Return of the Night of the Living Dead instead but I can't remember if anybody was black in that so I would say Tony Todd is probably like the one that's Candyman and to tell you the truth as a kid I wasn't scared of him um, I thought he looked so cool <laughs> 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 like I wasn't I wasn't scared of him at all. I was like, yeah, this guy's voice is amazing. And I watched all the sequels. Like me and my father were huge fans. Like I watched all of those with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much almost most horror films that I've seen as a kid, I was definitely watching it with my father. Uh mm-hmm. and Candyman, I, I just thought he was so cool. Like it wasn't like, yeah, it was scary that it was like if you go in the wind go in the mirror and call his name, he'll come get you. Like, okay, cool, leave him alone. That was kind of how I took it <laughs> as a kid. I was like, just, just leave him alone. Don't call him. But uh, as a as a character, like visually, I was like, yeah, he looks so cool. Like it's a black dude. He has this really awesome voice. He has like the hook hand. He has a really nice coat. Like he j- he looked so fucking cool. And that like always stuck with me as an image. And I, I was never honestly really ever afraid of his character. But yes, yeah, that's the first person I could really think of, honestly. I feel like for me, when I watch horror movies, especially if like the final girl or really strong female character, um, even, if they, even, if, even if they don't look like me, I do tend to take it as a personality thing where I'm just like, okay, that's, that's totally me. <laughs> that's totally me. I am like that. <laughs> like, even when I first watched Beetlejuice, you know, I was just like, I'm Lydia. That's literally me. I'm just like Lydia. The way she <laughs> is, the way she talks, the way she feels, like, that's me. I'm always quoting Lydia or like, when they you know Wednesday Adams that's also me you know even if they don't look like me but like yeah the style yeah but as someone who directly looks like me I don't see that unless they're being turned to some weird thing or they're being represented as in like the the wisdom character like oh I know this I know that it's like I've seen it all before can we just get something else you know <laughs> like I want something else. Yeah, it's, it's funny you even mentioned the wisdom because I know they mentioned that in the documentary as well. They were like, usually if it, there's a token of some sort, a person of color of some sort, they usually have some like untapped wisdom that it seems like the white protagonist doesn't know or, or anything like that. And they kind of end up just helping them for like to really no reason, honestly. And end up sometimes being a sacrificial lamb. And one example that they mentioned was uh, Annabelle, the very first Annabelle. And I saw the very first one. Did you see it? I did. I did see it. I thought it was a pretty good horror movie, to tell you the truth. The ending, which they mentioned in the, the movie, I mean, they mentioned in the documentary. <laughs> Why is the actress's name slipping my mind? But the uh, the actress, uh, she's she's in there, and it's a black woman whose name is slipping my mind. <laughs> she <laughs> she was in uh, Annabelle, and she, she has maybe five minutes of screen time, if even that. It's, it's not much screen time. She pretty much meets a couple near the end of the film. And she like pretty the movie pretty much ends with her killing herself to like save the family. Me watching that, which I think was I watched it fairly recently, like last year or something. And I even my mind, I was like, that was a weird ending. Like she wasn't in the film enough for this sacrifice to make any sense. Like I'm not sure if they couldn't think of a better ending. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, um, Alfre Woodard, that's her name. 
Yes, yes. There you go. Alfre Woodard. Yeah, she's an amazing actress. Yeah, she's awesome. She was in Luke Cage as well. Yeah. But yeah, because like she was the help, the quote unquote help. You know, she was hired as a nanny and stuff like that. And also, I mean, she survived. No, she didn't. But I know what you, I still know what you did left. No, not, I'm talking about someone else now. Um, okay. And, and, <laughs> And I still know what she did last summer, even though she survived at the end. But Brandy's character, she was almost oh, going to yeah, be. Brandy, she yeah, made she it. was almost going to be sacrificed because you know she's trying to help Julie get out. You know, because you know she's stuck in like. And what's crazy about that movie too is that Julie as a character was was kind of annoying. The sequel because <laughs> they're trapped in the deserted island with this killer trying to kill her, and then towards the end. You know, she she didn't even tell them the truth about what happened to her friends. You know, she was just like, oh, yeah, they she came and he killed all my friends. And Brandy's character was just like, why didn't you tell me this? You told me something else. Why would you lie to me about this? Like, why would you do this? Like, now you got us trapped in here with you. And then she got her boyfriend killed. And, you know, she almost died doing what? Protecting Julie. And thank God she survived. Because if she would have died, I'd have been like, you know, fuck the movie. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired <laughs> of Julie. But yeah, and that happens a lot. Yeah, it does. That that sounds like my reaction to uh to one of your favorite movies, Halloween H two O. Like I said, whenever I think of that movie, I think of LL Cool J. But I was happy he survived. Yeah, <laughs> I was so happy. I was glad that he survived the end. I was like, yes. And he made it twice. He made it also in a uh, Deep Blue Sea. Oh yeah, <laughs> he survived that. I forgot about that movie. I forgot all about that. He was a chef. <laughs> yeah, LL got a good track record. So if you see him in a horror movie, he probably gonna make it. <laughs> well yeah i mean isn't he also in, in, in ncis too or one of those crime shows solving crimes and whatnot so i'm like hey but um but yeah the the sacrificial lamb yeah like there's no need for them they're they're only like also like the psychic that's also another another um sub genre of token the psychic where they're not they're not there for plot they're just there just to be there they're just there to aid, you know, whoever's there and to care for the white lead. Like, okay, my whole purpose here is to protect so-and-so, to keep so-and-so safe, to get them where they have to get. And then I sacrifice myself for them. It, it's just crazy. You, you do see all the time. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And this was, well, like, this was like, this like, like, like the late 70s going to the 80s when you did see more black people in cinema. Yep. You know, but their only role was to be the first person that dies. That was their only role. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, and it's funny because in the documentary, they reference back to Star Trek, where it was just like, it's like the red shirt. If you're, if you're playing an actor, a character who's wearing a red shirt, you're going to die in Star Trek. That's just the rule of Star Trek. So they compared it to that, where they're like, that's what it is. If you're casting in this, you're just not going to last. We're just going to die. That's your role. Yeah, that that and that sucks. That has to be like the worst thing when you get you probably get booked for the role. You're like, oh man, I get to be on Star Trek. This is great. Then you read and you find out you're gonna die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, like and but I, but actually, no, God, no, yeah. no. I was just gonna mention. Um, we seen it too in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. You know, Dream Warriors. The black guy survives, and then in the fourth movie, he dies. <laughs> you know. He ends up getting killed first. <laughs> and it's funny because he kept telling the girl, he's like, listen, Freddy's dead. Stop bringing us into your nightmares. So stop. 
about manifesting it. You're, you, you keep thinking about it, he's going to come back. And what happened? He came back and then he died. Yeah, it sucks. I, I remember one, one, what was it? One, one actor in the documentary. His name was, uh, let's see, what was it? I think, I think I wrote his name down. His name was Miguel, Miguel Nuez Jr. I remember seeing him in a lot of stuff. That, that guy's really funny. He said he was in Friday the 13th. And he said, I never really looked at it as a bad thing, but I did always laugh about it. He said, I remember when they handed me the script for the movie, I flipped through the pages to see how many pages it took for me to, before I died. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's, that's literally how it is. Yeah, it's it, it's insane. I really did love the, the segment where they talked about uh, Night of the Living Dead because, one, I can't remember watching the film. I believe I've seen it, but it's just been a very long time, so I don't remember it too well. Mm-hmm. But that whole segment about that movie was really interesting. I know you've seen it, right? I've seen it many times. I've seen the original and I've seen the remake as well. Yeah, what what George R. Uh, Romero did with that movie, and it's funny because like he did look back at it, and like it, it was it did come out at a very interesting time because the sixties was this was crazy, and um, yes, and he said it. He was just like he does remember being in that car, and they mentioned it too in the documentary. When they're driving and he hears the radio, and this is the time when you know Martin King Jr. was assassinated, and he just sat there and he was just like, "Oh shit!" That had to be crazy. I, I, you know, having older people in your life, so you definitely know people. I know people who were alive when that happens, and they, they it's very, tra- it's a very tragic moment for them to even talk about. So I, I can only imagine living in that moment must have been crazy. But then also living in that moment and having this kind of script in hand must have been next level in sayings. I know they said when initially uh, Tony Todd said he asked him about the role because, the, you know, the lead hero is a black guy. The lead hero is a black guy in the film. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend you watch it. I'm going to go back and watch it myself because I believe I've seen it. It's just been a very long time. And the lead, the lead is a black guy and, you know, Night of the Living Dead, they're fighting zombies. So it's like all of these white people essentially in this house with a black guy. And he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of pretty much keeping them alive because he's the best one for the job. Simple as that. Uh, and it was, this movie came out in the 60s, so, you know, it's, that was, I can only imagine people's faces when they saw the film and was like, hold up, the lead is a black dude, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he turns out to be kind of everything people wanted him to be. He was a strong man, set up for himself, protected people, kept the zombies out, and at the same time, unfortunately, at the end of the film, not, forget it, I'm spoiling it, but <laughs> at the end of the film, he essentially gets killed by a white mob. Um, He is not a zombie when this happens, they just, they kill him pretty much like, people were doing at the in that time period so it's very unfortunate but also very reflective of the time that the movie was made which is really good i can only imagine the excitement people have when seeing the film and uh it's a classic to this day like everyone loves it anyone i know who's seen it speaks so highly of it but it is amazing that the the director uh george morrow said he never planned on the character being white i mean being black or being really, in, I don't think he planned on any specific race. He just kind of wrote it. Yeah, because he was just the best actor who came in to audition. And then that was that was it. Yep. He was just like, that's it. You're the role. That's the role for you. And yeah, because like the 60s is when the civil rights movement was going on. Mm-hmm. So, and then, to, and then to see that in film, you know, and it, it, it's interesting because like a lot of people were just so shocked about it. They were just like, wait, that's how it ends? That's how you end it. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, it was just so like what? Like it was a smack people's faces where they were just like, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah, it was too real. Mm-hmm. It felt too real in a space where people, you know, it's it's a movie, so you kind of expect some escapism. But it felt so real. People were like, damn. But it's it's remembered forever. People love the movie dearly. Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. 
It's really awesome. It's, it's crazy, and, it's, and it it points back to a thing that we've actually said in previous episodes. I remember back when we did the girl with all of the gifts episode, mm-hmm. how I believe we said like in the book that the character is white, but in the movie the character is black, and it just shifts the meaning of so many interactions and so many themes and so many just so many things about the film entirely. Mm-hmm. It's funny how just shifting changing the race of a character can make a film take on an entirely new meaning. And that's literally what happened with that film. Yeah. I believe for casting, yeah, like she was amazing. And they were like, that's it. She's, she's the role. Yep. That's it. They gave her the role and that was her first film and she did an amazing job. Like, yeah, you guys have to watch that movie. <laughs> watch that movie and hear our podcast about it. We speak highly about it. Um, yeah, we love that film. Yeah. And it was... Oh. Mm-hmm. Something I wanted, I was thinking while I was watching the movie, because I have many people who have seen these kinds of movies. But have you watched black exploitation films like any of them? Uh, what is it? Damn it, what was the movie? It's based on a TV show. Well, Black Dynamite? No, not Black Dynamite. Shaft. Oh. <laughs> I watched Shaft. You watch the Shaft movies? I watched the Shaft movie. Yeah. I never saw the original one, but I saw the remake with Samuel Jackson. Oh, you should definitely check out the original. So the original was funny. <laughs> I know they did a new one too with, with, with the two generations of Shaft, the original and Samuel Jackson. Yeah, that was the latest one that came out. I forgot what the title was. It might have been Shaft or some shit. I don't remember. It might have been a really stupid title. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, saw that, I saw that as well. I watched the original. They, uh, the original was really, really, really good. Really good. Some of those, I know they were slightly critical of black exploitation films in the documentary for, I would say, good reasons. Because but once again, I would say the reasons are similar to a lot of other things. If you don't see yourself enough, you ha- you you tend to be critical of when you do see yourself. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people were like, well, the, the black exploitation era was kind of, you know, exploitive to say the least. And uh, the, with the stories, if you've, if you've watched any, I grew up watching a lot of them because my father used to have a bunch of them on VHS 1. I'm, I said VHS 1. <laughs> VHS. <laughs> my father used to have a bunch of them. So we would, I would, I've, that's how I know who even like Fred Williamson and Pram Greer are. Because I grew up watching like Hell Up in Harlem, Black Caesar, and so so many other black exploitation films at the time. I guess you can put Black Belt Jones in that range with Jim Kelly. I loved Jim Kelly as a kid. I would say like mm-hmm. him and like Fred Williamson were almost like my childhood heroes, which is why I I fucking lost my mind when I saw From Dust to Dawn and Fred Williamson was in it. I was like, holy shit! I've been, I've seen every film this guy was in. <laughs> it was like such a. It was like everything. And that's also tends to be why that's my favorite vampire movie ever. But uh, we, we're going to review that one at some point. And I'll really, really gush over that one. But uh, yeah, um, Black Spaceship <laughs> films are hilarious. They're, 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 if you aren't familiar with the genre, if you aren't familiar with the kind of films, at the time, they were essentially really the only films you can see you could see black people in. And uh, I don't even know if the directors, for the most part, were black for most of those films. I, I would probably say no. But these stories were kind of for the time, right? Because it was like the 70s. So it would mm-hmm. be pretty much like, hey, is like a guy. He's a black guy. He's black lead. The cast are usually a lot of times be mostly black. Uh, and a lot of the times the villain was white because they'd be like, we need to take down the man. So <laughs> yeah. it's a good combination of like action and uh, action, a little bit of social commentary. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was it, They were fun films. I wouldn't take them too seriously, but uh, some of them were quite good in my opinion. Yeah, because you also got like Foxy Brown also came out of that era as well. Yes, Foxy Brown, Pam Greer. You get Black Dynamite, which is like a parody of all of those, which if you love Black Dynamite, all of that stuff came from somewhere. They came from the original Black Exploitation films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember you had like freaking <laughs> Remember on the cover brother from two thousand and two? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was also like a parody of everything. I was like, Oh my yeah. god. It was a parody of that time. 
dudes would be doing extreme crazy stuff. They'd have massive afros. The sex scenes would be somebody sleeping with four women at once. It was just weird. It was crazy, but that was that was how those scenes mm-hmm. were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's understandable why in a documentary they were just like, ugh, and just lying about it. Because, yeah, like, the roles were just, you know, you had to be sassy. You also had to be, you know, appealing and sexy. Um, you had <laughs> yeah. to be, you know, the thug character, the the pimp character, you know. And yeah, it really was like, can we get something else besides this? <laughs> you know, um, you know, I mean, thank God for Spike Lee. You know, yep, thank God for him. Doing what he did, yeah, because without him, we we wouldn't have Rosie Perez. Let's just say that. That is true. <laughs> and that woman is is an icon. She is an icon, and she still represents everything. Yeah, she is yeah. a treasure. I love her. Can you adopt <laughs> me, Rosie Perez, if you're listening? <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, she's aged amazingly well. She's she seems like a really nice person. Um, but yeah, that was the seventies, and then out of the seventies, after that, then we had Blackula. Blackula. Yeah, which that was also a very interesting film. Because I mean, I don't know, like. I forgot, did they say that's also part of the whole um, black exploitation genre or did they separate it? They said it, 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 they kind of, I guess in the documentary, they kind of separated it because they were just like, it pulled elements of it, but it it was, I would say, better crafted stories. That's kind of what they were getting at. Like the stories were more crafted, it was more classy, but it, it kind of fits that era. Yeah, I believe the director at the time, I forgot what his name was, he fought so hard. William Crane. Yeah, he fought so hard. To, to do things in that movie like first they didn't want to do it um he said that how like the whole staff was primarily white um and he had to fight so hard yeah. for certain. he had to fight for certain like for certain things for certain equipment he had to push really hard for certain stuff and, and it, it's just crazy it was just so crazy but it got it got done and you know it, it was highly praised you know, and that, and it's funny how they they were mentioning that how like that's when they and that's when Hollywood first saw like okay, we actually might get profit out of movies like this. and um and then it had a sequel, Scream, Blackula Scream. Yeah, they saw a value. They started to kind of see value in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we had Black yeah Scream, yeah. Blackula Scream, and then we had Sugar Hill, which featured the first you know lead woman role, black woman role also. Like she was the lead of that whole film. We've never seen that before. No one has ever seen that before. And um. And then, yeah, and then it jumps into, you know, Bill Gunn with um, Ganja and Hess, which was also, like, one of the most iconic films also. And it, that whole part I want to get into because I was very surprised when they said the how, like, there's no direct version of that film in print. The only original film is in the museum. Yeah, I wonder why is that? Yeah, because, like, I feel like they did talk about it a little bit, but they didn't really, like, go in full detail about it. But yeah, and apparently it was recut for the public as the blood couple. And so many things were cut out of that movie. But the full intact film is in the Museum of Modern Art because they, they, they saw it as like a historical monument. The movie was just so like brilliantly done. It was written well, it was directed well. Actors was amazing. But it's just like it's it blew my mind when they said that. Yeah, and it, and I, in a lot of ways, it kind of jumped higher in my list of movies I need to watch. Because one, the premise for that film, so, so I know we're jumping around, but uh, the premise for that film is basically like the director kind of made a film about like a guy who's dealing with addiction, mm-hmm. and it's like this black guy who's like fairly well, fairly well to do, has makes good money, lives in an all white neighborhood, but he lives in fear of like 
police encounters. He lives in fear of the day that the police may just pull him over or anything may happen with police. Like despite his his pretty good living, he still has he still lives with that mm-hmm. fear. And the film is kind of about like confronting that and like him dealing with that and dealing with I believe his addiction as well and his addiction to blood. So it's kind of like a slightly different kind of vampire film, which is really interesting and definitely all, a great spring off from Blackula. Which for anyone who's never heard of Black Blackula, so I know we jumped through it really quickly, but Blackula is literally what it sounds like, the Black Dracula. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is what it's. It sounds like that. That's what the film is. It's the Black Black Dracula. He's not. He. I wouldn't say the Black version. I would just say he's Black Dracula because there's things about him that are entirely different from Dracula. That's just kind of the name they decided to go with. And uh, I think he. Uh, one thing to even jump onto that was that uh, before I go back to um, Ganja and Hess. Was that the director for Blackula said that at one point they kind of wanted to call him Count Browns? Yeah, because they wanted to be like Count Browns in town. And I was like, that is a terrible title. Thank God he didn't go with that. <laughs> yeah, because again, like he had to fight. He had to fight so hard to get things done for that movie, and it's just it's just so insane. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, because again, like back then, you know, you didn't see that. You didn't see you know a black director. You didn't see black writers. You didn't see black actors, and like primarily roles like that that they give to you know a lighter skinned person or a white person yep. blue eyes and blonde hair you know Definitely. so they had to they had to fight really hard for that um and i'm glad that he was able to get it done and that that is is, is still considered like a great movie both of them the first one and the sequel yeah i'm gonna I'm rewatch that at some point i actually want to jump back on to the the black directors thing but i'm gonna I'm get to that in a second i'm gonna go back to ganja and hess because i want to comment on the, the part you were saying about uh how limited it is in print they said that the award in the documentary you mentioned that that movie Ganjan has said it won tons of awards in different countries. It was kind of like I would say almost universally loved everywhere that it was seen. And they said that the, when it came to America, like it didn't really catch on. Which I I one I would assume that's for a lot of reasons that it didn't catch on. If I had to guess, one that was like the seventies or eighties. So at that time, obviously, we didn't have digital media in the way that we do now. Mm-hmm. the studios which are still very heavily white but also probably didn't see much commercial value in it so they probably didn't think it was worth putting in theaters it's like yes they probably didn't view european audiences or anyone else all the other countries the same and as america in terms of what would work on screen or what doesn't so they probably is just assumed it didn't work i've literally never heard of the film until i saw the documentary this is my second time watching a documentary i've never ever heard of this film prior to the documentary have you no first time documentary there's a lot of films i've never heard of and so i watched the documentary yeah and that says a lot in my opinion about the 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 other side of like the entertainment industry when you're talking about distribution like i know a lot of people like to comment and say and i'm not i don't think it's bad but a lot of people like to comment and say hey we just need to make something if we make our own thing it's that easy make it put it out and this day digital age now that is a little bit simpler. You can make something. It can go viral. And then people you thought would never watch it can end up watching it. Mm-hmm. However, at that time, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to make a film where uh, it was the only time people were really watching films was in theaters. And if it wasn't in theaters, there's a high likelihood you never heard of it. So I, I can only imagine why it would probably kind of vanish out of the psyche at that point. Mm-hmm. Why is it only one print? That's the part I would I would probably... I'm I'm probably the most lost on, and they said it's in theaters, but I believe actually the movie itself, I think it is, last I checked, it's on Shutter, so you could probably watch it on Shutter digitally, of course, but yeah, I just think they, they probably felt like the studios at the time probably felt like they didn't know what to do with it, because clearly they didn't have anybody in the room who looked like you or I, who probably just saw like some value in it, mm-hmm. 
Then they probably just tossed it to the side. And then that's why, as what you mentioned, they recut it, called the blood couple and all this other stuff, because they're probably trying to come up with an uh, let's say an American way to market it and see if that would click. And I and I honestly I don't think it still clicked because I still never even heard of blood couple. So clearly they didn't know what the hell they were doing with that film. Yeah. It was just like it was just very like intriguing. And yeah, because you know, you know how it is over here. Whenever they see names like Ganja and Hash, they're like, oh, that's just ethnic, you know, quote unquote ethnic. I'm just like, no, it's not. Yeah. Just because they're not named like Charlie or John or married doesn't mean anything. It's just a name. Yeah. And it's, it's very close to, uh, sorry to cut you off, it's, it's, very, it's very close to how they do foreign films. So, yeah. But yeah, like, it, it's, it, it does follow my mind. Like you said, like, it is confusing. I said, why is there only one print? in the modern museum the museum of modern history i mean of modern art um so that's pretty interesting and they also go on to also in the documentary um what is it in the late like 1970s because that was also when they when they started doing movies where they were experimenting on black people which was happening in real life yeah because that was the era when the syphilis experiment happened dr came he didn't tell them what was really going on so a lot of these people were dying without knowing what they had in their in their bodies and you know that's when we also had like you know black inside and all these other films <laughs> where they were being turned into like these creatures because you know it, it was reflecting what was going on in that era that was happening in real life even historically back in the day like it, it's, it's traumatizing yep you know like gynecology was, was based on the blood of black women and latina women this is very traumatizing and that's the one thing i like about movies is that you can always reflect it in film. And I think that's why, like, I really loved what Jordan Peele did with Get Out. He just did it so brilliantly. Because he showed a real fear. <laughs> a real fear that everyone faces. And he just, like, put it out there. Like, look, this is what we go through every day. Now you see it. Like, wow. But we'll get into Get Out later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then we're going to get into that later on. And, of course, at some point, we're going to do that as an episode. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's 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 really it's really cool how they they really walked you through history to kind of I would say in a lot of ways handheld you to get you to understand like why the films that when black directors were making films reflected what they reflected and a lot of times it was reflecting the real life traumas that were happening and mm-hmm. it was, that was really cool I I love, I love the way they did that and I love how they kind of got deeper and deeper and closer to like you know present day where they started to talk about things like Candyman like not the remake but they were talking about the original with my man Tony Todd I love that dude. Best voice, like yeah. <laughs> best voice between like him and like Keith David. Best voices, like those guys are oh awesome, gosh. and I and I love that. T- yeah, those guys are great, and I, I love the way they they talked about. It. They were just like the story of Candyman, like kind of to go back to what I was saying as a kid. It didn't scare me as a kid, and I rewatched it like last year or early this year, just to kind of because I think it was on Netflix or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, let me watch this movie, and I've always loved this film, and I still love it to this day. And his story is a tragic story. Like I honestly was like, this is not a horror film. Like it's a horror film, but it's not uh, scary in that sense. It's not that kind of scary mm-hmm. because it's more so talking about the trauma and tragedy that the the villain, quote unquote, went through himself. Mm-hmm. Dude was a painter, ended up in an interracial marriage, ended up getting killed due to that. And then now he essentially kills anybody who calls his name. In my mind, like I said before, just don't call him. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that's 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 what it is. That's what that character is. Yeah. I mean, I told Kendall this. Like, I, I, that movie terrifies me. It was a kid. That movie, I remember I watched it once and I was like, I'm never watching this ever again. 
And then um, I think two years ago for Valentine's Day, I watched it. My boyfriend has never seen it before. He's never seen it ever. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's watch it. And even he said it. He was just like, this movie was so ahead of its time. And it really was. Watching it now in this decade, it's so it's, it revolutionized everything. It was so different from what you normally saw in a horror movie. Um, the story, the yep. the the graphics, the way everything was, like the way Tony Todd with his voice. I love that man so much. Um, it was really ahead of his time. It really was. Um, and it was just, it was amazing because yeah, in the sequel you get the backstory. You see visually what happened to him. Yes. And it's just like uh, I really am. I'm, I'm excited for the remake. The, the new one. I'm excited for that one. Yeah, I, I hope it's good. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Peele isn't directing it. I know people still say, oh, Jordan Peele, but it's not his movie. He's just producing it. <laughs> There's a woman directing it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think at this point that uh, Jordan Peele is the, uh, he's the magical Negro, as it, <laughs> as the trope goes. <laughs> so, uh, anything they can attach his name to, whether he walked in and signed a piece of paper, they're going to attach his name to it because he is one of the few known black directors. So they're, they're going to attach his name to anything they can attach his name to. If, if that dude walked in the room and approved the script, they're going to be like approved by Jordan Peele. Like <laughs> and I know he knows that. And I'm, and I'm sure, and in my opinion, at least so far, he's been using it in the right ways to get the right projects moving. Because I think he produces or executive produces Lovecraft Country or something like that. The writer is a woman, mm-hmm. uh, Misha Green, if I recall. I think that's her name. Uh, but his name is somewhat attached to that as well. So I think, you know, they're, they're pretty much using his name to get projects out the door. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, I'm fine with that. I'm sure he's fine with that, too, as long as we get to see these stories. He, don't, he shouldn't have to do everything. Yeah, because I believe it's Nia Da Costa. That's who's directing the Candyman movie. Awesome. Um, and she's also directing the sequel to Captain Marvel as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. That should be pretty fun. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to see like what they both do. But, um, but yeah, like I said, like it, that movie was just so ahead of his time. It was just so different. And he watches movies like I do as well. Like, I mean, he kind of got late into horror movies because he wasn't allowed to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my, my, my boyfriend, but like when, he, but then when he watched it, he was just like, I remember how he was kind of fighting about it. He was just like, I don't ever want to see the movie re- reboot or remade. It's just perfect the way it is. Like, you cannot remake this movie. Because <laughs> he was just like, it's, it's not even scary. It's creepy. It's creepy in a sense. And it is. Like, he's yeah. creepy. The way he stalks the woman and he's like, I'll be my victim and stuff like that. But, but yeah, he scared the hell out of me. Because I, 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 uh, I was like, nah. <laughs> I know one of my friends was just like, but you scared of him. You, you're, not, you're not white. He's not going to kill you. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I ain't saying his name. I don't want to be near anybody who says his name. Like, that's you. I don't know you. Just leave him alone. That's all. Just leave him alone. There won't be no problems. Yeah. <laughs> but he just said amazing. He's awesome. I, I love how the documentary, like, you know, talked about him, talked about the issues with that. Not even issues, but they just talked about it. Like, how how good the role is, the mm-hmm. things that kind of came with it, how amazing it was. Because it was like, you really don't see, like, black supernatural killers or anything like that. So, you mm-hmm. know... It's one thing to not to be a lead. It's another thing to be like the lead kind of like villain. He got a few sequels out of it and everything. So that's awesome. And he also talked about one of my other favorite movies I used to watch a lot as a kid. Uh, it tells from the hood. I love that movie. I love, love, love that movie. Oh, so good. <laughs> I didn't see any of the sequels yet, but that first one. Same. Yeah. I remember when I first watched that and it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I was like, this is scary. <laughs> um, but it was like really done well and i really enjoyed it like i still when they give it on tv i still watch it 
they still rewatch. I don't care. Like that's the it's like one of those one of those movies that it don't like it's like one of those movies that don't that ages well with time. Like you never get tired of it. You never get bored of it. It, it still holds up even now. Yep. And it was just, it was really done well too because even the topics they talked about in the film reflected what was going on in real life in real time, and they showcased that in film and just to terrify you. Yeah, I, I've uh, I wa- I watched it probably about oh, I think it was maybe about six years ago. I think it was the last time I watched. I've seen the movie tons of times. I think it might have been maybe like six to eight years ago when the last time I watched the film, and I, I watched it with a few friends who've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was interesting. It was interesting watching with them. Like uh, my friends, it was, it was these two girls. Were like one of them was black, and she just she just never seen it. I think she's only seen pieces of it. And we we, we all loved horror films, so so occasionally we would watch horror films. And my other friend was um was like Caribbean, and uh, she's never seen the film. And it was it was fun watching it with them because they were just like, this came out in the nineties. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this really came out in the nineties. Like this this is what they was doing at the time like it's a, if if for some reason you've never seen tales from the hood it's one of the best anthology films let alone horror one of the best anthology films i've ever seen i think we mentioned it briefly when we were talking about tri- we did a trick or treat episode mm-hmm. it's one of the best anthology films you'll probably ever watch it's like really 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 well done stories are just so cool so unique every story is so drastically different from the next you got everything from like supernatural to like uh, gang violence and everything, uh, politicians, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff. I remember that doll, that little doll that was like the slave doll that came out the painting that was chasing him. That shit scared the hell out of me as of a kid. <laughs> that movie was awesome. The movie is great to this day. That movie still holds up, and I'm, I'm happy they mentioned that because horror films and black people in horror films have definitely come such a long way. Yeah, and it's funny because like that, that that one particular star with the politician, like. It makes so much sense today. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. A lot of this stuff, like, yo, it's just crazy. Yeah, because he was just like, oh, well, you know, whatever, whatever. And then the payback of all of them coming to life and killing killing everybody, killing that guy. It was like, yeah. But yeah, like, it, it, was, it was terrifying. And it was also like, you know, Spike Lee was also an executive producer on that film, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Spike Lee, man. He does everything. But yeah, like that. <laughs> it's just such a good movie. Yeah, it, it still holds up. And there was one other movie. What is it? David Allen Greer. He played the role of the abusive, you know, husband, like boyfriend, in one of the one of the episodes. And it's funny because like we're still used to seeing the comedy. And I love how they mentioned that in the documentary. Yes. That like you're so used to seeing him in comedy. He's always funny. And this was the first time he was like serious. And I had no idea that he had a Shakespearean background. I had no idea about that. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I me, mean, I forgot all about that. And like, if, if you're an actor and you have Shakespearean background, that means you could do anything. You literally can do any role. Yeah, I mean, he, the man has range. And uh, I think a lot sometimes, uh, not just as like consumers of this content, but I think even people who like are in the business, I think at times people get so caught up kind of boxing people into specific things that they kind of, they can almost forget that the person is more than a one role that they had. Like, you know, honestly, we look at Tony Todd and we go, yeah, he's Candyman. Like, and, and even he said one of the camera dudes said, man, you're going to be Candyman forever. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm sure I'm sure the man can do other roles. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen him in other things, too. But you could you could these guys can do other roles. They have more range. And that's one thing that the uh, 
the documentary really, really, really wanted to highlight was that, you know, mm-hmm. outside the one part of being a token that sucks is that a lot of the time these characters, whether they're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they have more range than what's usually given to them. They're just kind of given a specific box mm-hmm. to live in. Yeah, like, like I mean, and, and Keith David's like a national treasure to me because that man can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> that man has done everything <laughs> from like live action to even like anime. And, and gargoyles yeah like oh my god yeah it's like anime cartoons like he's done it all he was even a cat in Coraline <laughs> that was just like don't go in there oh wow I didn't know that <laughs> yeah that was him oh man that guy's fantastic he's he's just amazing he's like a national treasure man like oh he's he's like a monument <laughs> <laughs> he's just amazing oh man but um yeah I love that guy but yeah and they also mentioned um how Wes Craven was also trying to do movies with representation as well whether it was hit or miss he tried like um serpent and the rainbow which i watched i watched serpent and the rainbow movie freaked me the <laughs> hell out it's a wild title yeah i mean serpent and the rainbow is, is, is basically about voodoo that's basically what it's about basically this man i'm gonna go, I'm gonna go a little bit in detail but like this man he he he's like, curious about the whole voodooism so he goes to the country I think he goes to Haiti or Brazil. I forgot where he goes to. And he's like, he's just like, oh, I'm going to try to debunk this whole thing of someone come back to blah, blah, blah. And then he goes and he gets himself fucked up, basically, by voodoo. And it's just like, why are you questioning that, man? <laughs> like, don't question it. Well, you know, that that always happens. Yeah. So. And then Wes Craven also did Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. I remember that And movie. also people. Evil is good. Yeah. <laughs> and then also people under the stairs i actually never seen people under the stairs i've always heard about it but was heard it's good but i've never, never watched seen it. it i've never watched it don't judge me i already know you're judging me feel it oh i ain't judging we about to pick that put that high on the list of movies to review because that is one of my favorite childhood films yeah and i did they talked about how like he really tried to do representation in film he really did try whether it was hit or miss the story wise but he really tried to do that yeah, you got to applaud that. And uh, I remember another example that I think I sent you when we were talking about this before. The the director for Final Destination 2, he said originally he wanted to have a black woman be the lead of that film. Mm-hmm. And uh, the studios pretty much fought him on it, which sounds like a very, very common trend in, in a lot of films when people were trying to get any sort of like non-white lead. The studios kind of go, uh eh. Their argument is always whether or not you know why people want to see somebody who isn't them. Honestly, that discussion is easily debunked. Because uh, anybody who isn't white has had to not see themselves for a very long time. So clearly people are okay with not seeing themselves. (laughs) So that that, that debunks that in of itself. But, you know, when the person at the wheel is the one who's in charge of saying yes or saying no, it's hard to argue with it. Yeah, there's also... Even if you're right, mm -hmm. you can be wrong. It also goes back to, like, Tales of the Crypt, Demon Knight. You know, like, in the documentary, he fought to get Jada Pinkett Smith to play the role of one of the characters. Because they're initially going to have, you know, a white girl. And he was... He was like, no, I have to have her. And he fought for it and he got her. Yeah, no, it was worth it. It's usually worth it nine times out of ten. It's like whenever we see women in, in a lot of in a lot of films, whether it's science fiction or horror, it usually tends to be a white woman. Like I think when you think of even most final girls, a lot of the time they tend to be white. I don't have a problem with it. Obviously, I love a lot of these characters, but that's just the reality of the situation. Nine times out of ten, the character is not going to is going to be white nine times out of ten. Just simple as that. And if they aren't, if they're not white, it's usually, in my opinion, usually because it ends up being like a foreign film or ends up being something made in like Asia or made in like in South America where like 
they have more control or more creative control over who the leads will be. Maybe I'm assuming the studio execs probably look more like themselves, but that's what kind of leads. So, and I feel like that's always been the, the biggest distinction when I think of different people appearing in film, Mm -hmm. like you have, when you think of like Asian films, right? I'm just saying Asian has the broad stroke, but clearly you have Korea, Chinese, Japanese, Malaysian, Mandarin. Like I don't, I can't even name all of the Asian countries and, and all of that stuff, but they, they tend to have, I would say their own infrastructure for the kind of films that they release. Mm -hmm. So we can get a film like Nora, the curse that we reviewed and we, we get those films that we probably would have never gotten in America, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even think about every so many films like The Ring, The Grudge, they end up getting Americanized and they make an American version that's usually crappy nine times out of ten. But the original still gets to live because it, the people who made it were kind of in control of their content. And I, I and honestly, obviously, all black people ain't from, aren't from Africa. <laughs> Science mm-hmm. proves this. Like, they're, they're black people from different parts of the world. But if you want to even point to Africa as an example, I feel like just kind of now they're getting everything together enough where like their films are starting to reach bigger audiences and with with shows on Netflix like Queen Sono and stuff like that. Like they're getting to a point now where we're kind of looking at them like almost like a Bollywood. We're like, oh, like Africans have their own kind of media now and they can control the stories that are released and and African-Americans haven't very had a lot of that. And I think that's why we've kind of ended up in a scenario where we're asking people to give us a break because we haven't been able to create the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Was well, even, um, wreck, you know, wreck is, is, oh, uh, yeah, wreck is great. Is a man is a um, film from Madrid. Yes. Great movie. An amazing movie. I, I watched it. Freaked me the hell out. <laughs> and then it gets Americanized as, quarantine and they changed the whole movie changed everything about it and someone may say but it's kind of the same like no no record is literally about possession it's literally about possession quarantine is literally about virus going around um so very different and with record it was frightening it was terrifying you know where like the possessed person can infect you with the possessive that's scary as I don't care about anybody, but that's scary. If someone has superstitious <laughs> at me, I'm like, oh, hell no. Hell no. Get out of here. <laughs> um, but that's another prime example of that. You know, uh, also Death Note. Death Note is one of the most iconic animes ever in history. It's one of the best even that people still talk about to this day. They Americanized it. People were just like, we've seen this already. We've seen this where a white man wants to kill all his enemies. We see it all the time in the news. Who's shooting? There's nothing new about that. We see it all the damn time. Stop Americanizing it. You know, we don't have to see it. Like, leave it alone. And hopefully one day it gets normalized where we don't have to, you know, see Americanized versions of it, like Parasite. Parasite is a prime example. You know, it's a Korean film with Korean subtitles that apparently made amazing awards. And they they were even talk about how, like, oh, we may want to Americanize it. And the director was just like, you're not Americanizing shit. You're not Americanizing my my movie. You're keeping it the way it is. <laughs> like, and and I'm glad that he also fought for that, you know, for it to be shown in all the theaters. It's not just set in, like, the indie theaters, like some of these movies get played at. It was shown everywhere. Yep. And I, I hope that it continues to be like that. I hope movies like that continue to be normalized, you know? Um, yep. And I, I believe during his Oscar speech, he says something along the lines of, like, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something along the lines of, I, I hope that as the world grows, like 
sub, a few um, bars of text at the bottom of the screen aren't the things keeping people from great cinema in other countries. Yeah. And I was like, I agree. Some people literally won't watch foreign films because there are subtitles. I'm assuming there are obviously probably other reasons where people have their own ingrained patriotism or ingrained biases. But a lot of the time, this ties back together with how people view these characters when they're presented as a token. Mm-hmm. Asian people, a lot of the time, are presented as a silent type. They don't really have friends. They aren't cool. They have no sense of style. They have There's so many like stereotypes attached to them in media. Mm-hmm. That if you really want to step out of that, you kind of have to watch their forms of media that they produce. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of going to jump forward, but they, I love how when they first mentioned Get Out, you know, when they talked about it, you know, late 2000s, we finally got a film, you know, where the lead is black. And they, they talk about all these tropes, you know, the white knight character, the, the girlfriend who saved them from, like, when they were being, you know, stopped by the cop. I love how Jordan Peele joked about it, where he was just like, there are nice white people. <laughs> there are good white people. But in this movie, no one's good. Everyone's out to get you. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're all enemies. And I love how when they compared the second place to a theater, I love how they compared that. Because it's like... That was great. Because it does kind of represent, yeah, like, when you're watching a movie, and... You know, I love how they always make fun of that. Like, in Scream as well. I'm going to go back to Scream. Then Scream 2. Jada Pinkett Smith character and her boyfriend watching a movie. And she's like, don't go in there. No, no. And I was like, shh. And I love, they made fun of that too. A scary movie where the girl kept like screaming at the at the, the, the theater. And we kind of do do that. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. We do that. We just, we, we have to try to be quiet about it, but it's hard. <laughs> I love how she compared that. Like, one of the critics in the documentary compared it to that. Whereas it's like you're you're viewing this, but you can't you can't do anything. You're gonna shout out like like get out, do this, do that, but then they don't hear you because you can't do anything about it. And that is kind of like how the second place was. He couldn't do anything. You know, no one could hear him. He was literally just like in this whole isolated area of confinement. And you know, Jordan Peele said that how like that kind of referenced his fear of also confinement. You know, like. Spaces. Yeah, he said it was kind of um, being in a sunken place is kind of like being a viewer to your life, but not being able to participate in it. And I was like, damn, that's that's dope. I like that. And yeah, they 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 highlighted get get out and and a lot of ways that movie. It's a great movie. Uh, at some point, we'll get to it. Um, like I, to review it at some point. It's it's a really good movie. I enjoyed it. I've seen it maybe like three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a fun, it's a fun movie. It's like just a, it's a good balance of fun and and scary. Uh, scary in a non traditional way that fear is usually troll. So you know, usually there's a monster of some sort mm-hmm. or something like that. But in this case, the monster is racism. Yeah. And it's done in a really unique way, which not just like people walking around screaming the n word anything like that. It's it's the interactions, it's the subtleties, it's the, it's the small interactions, the small things that kind of bubble over into being bigger things that reveal a bigger plot. So it was really, really good. Uh, one, the one thing I wanted to mention about Get Out, I know we're going to do it at some point, so we don't really got to go through that mo- whole movie. But the 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 comparison to the ending, mm-hmm. that uh, the ending when Jordan Peele was talking about, and most people know this, the movie originally had a different ending yeah, uh, than the one that we saw on screen originally at the end of the film. He's supposed to go to jail. Like the cops essentially show up and then Chris go, he gets caught and he goes to jail and for basically killing all those white people. And I remember the first time I heard that, which was probably a little bit after the movie first came out. Um, 
when I when I first heard that, I was I remember saying I told I think I told my friend this. I was like, if that would have was the ending to that film, I will never I would never watch that film again. Same. If that was how that film ended, I would never view I would view it one time and then I would never watch the film again. Because there is enough bad stuff happening in real life <laughs> that are like that. I don't need to see that again on screen. And in 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 the lady in the documentary we said the same. And I was like, I I knew that before I even saw this documentary, I felt the exact same way. I just didn't need to see that reality like that. He's like, This is a horror film. We have so many horror films where people will go around killing all kinds of people and they walk away the scot free or they just walk away with the trauma of the situation. They don't walk away with the tr- like the cops are usually a sign of like the nightmare is over. But, you know, with the character being black and get out, it changes that entirely. So and I liked how he compared that to Night of the Living Dead in the 68. He said, hey, that movie didn't necessarily get the happy ending that some people thought it would. And was shocked to, to what you're saying. They were shocked by it. In mm-hmm. this case, he figured, hey, people wanted a hero. I'm going to give him a hero. So he actually changed it. I'm like, thank God you did, because I wouldn't view this film again if you didn't. Yeah. I guess also because like, he wanted to have talk value to see if someone was, would react to that and be like, oh, my God, can this happen? When I went to see it, I think it was like um, two or three days after the movie first premiered. And in the audience, it was a mixture. It was a mixture of like, you know, a black audience, a white audience. And I feel like if he would have kept that as the ending, I would be curious to see what the reaction would be on their faces, you know, the white audience. Because if they were to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. How can that happen? Then, you know, there'll be a flood of articles and be like, well, it does happen. It just happened yesterday or it happened two weeks ago or it happened, yeah. you know, so and so. And I feel like when it comes to topics like that, I don't want to get into it, but I'm going to get into it because I don't care right now. But like, I feel like white people are just so used to being shielded or shield themselves that they don't want to see it. And then when it's like in their face, they're like, I can't believe this is happening. How, how can we let this happen? It's like, you've been letting this happen for years. And it's just it's crazy. Because again, like if he would have kept that, I would have loved to see their reaction. Just to get the reaction, I feel like I'm not going to be satisfied with it. Because I'm sure they'd be like, I can't believe this happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> you wouldn't. Because then it'd just be like, well, I hate to break it to you, Karen, but that shit happened yesterday. Stuff like this happens every day. <laughs> well, so true. I agree 100%. In this, in this particular case, I will take my enjoyment over the reaction of others. True, true. Because so I, I, <laughs> I really yeah. enjoyed this film. This film is, it's a fun film. So, like, I would have su- it would have sucked for him to kind of leave that bitter taste in your mouth at the end of the film and then now you're just kind of like do I like do I want to watch this again like if someone came up to me and was like hey let's watch Get Out I'd be like no I def like do I want to put myself through this again and there's films like that there are I can't think of a, t- quite a, a lot off the top of my head but there are definitely films like that that exist for me or mm-hmm. like despite all of the horror and all of this stuff where I think if someone rec- was like hey let's go watch this and I know what like what's coming I would kind of be like I, I don't think I need to Sit through. That. I don't think I need to sit through that. Like that's this ain't worth it. Uh, this is way more traumatic than it is anything else. I don't. I don't. I don't think I need that. So, but I. I just. Yeah. I. I, I wanted to mention that because I really like the mm-hmm. how he kind how he said he pretty much unintentionally but intentionally arrived at going with the ending that he went with because of what happened in Night of the Living Dead and he he felt like it it was a bit more redemptive and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, because like we've seen it too. Like I don't know if you heard of it or seen it um but netflix has a show called seven seconds and it's a little like you know short series about a boy who does get killed 
by accident by a cop and then he hires his cop to cover it up and the end result is well surprise surprise they don't get arrested for it they don't go to jail for it they just get like okay slap in your hand you're off duty you're never gonna come back i remember watching that i don't know why the hell i thought okay this might be different but then the way they ended that series with that ending of like the cops getting off they never got justice for it. I was just like, I don't know why I had set myself up for that for hope because it <laughs> like, like, yeah, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> it's crazy because like it's funny because my sister was just like, oh, you should watch it, and I was like, okay, let me watch it. She she picks good movies or good stuff, and then I watched it, and I was just like, hurt me. Like this actually hurt. Like I actually cried at the end. Like cried a lot, and I was just like, this is so hurtful because we see it every day, and it's so tiring. Um, but I do, it's funny because like in the theater, when that scene happened, when the cop car comes, I did hear everyone go <gasps> in the theater. I heard everyone do that, where they're like, oh my God. Same. I heard everybody gasp. And then when it showed to be his friend, everybody was clapping. They're like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> like it's his friend. <laughs> yeah. And they got away. Even I was just like, oh my God. Like, so I'm actually, I'm also <laughs> really happy he kept it the way it is because again, we see it too much, too many times in the real world. Like we need a break. <laughs> yeah, we all need a release. It just, it is what it is. But uh, my my last question before we get out of here, I just wanted to kind of wrap this all up in a nice bow. Uh, what do you think, like the next step in, uh, I guess you could say, representation or anything like that for everyone? What do you think that next step is in horror? Normalization. To normalize it, to not see it as a big deal that you have an all black cast, a black lead, a black director, a black writer. That's what I hope the next step is. Yeah, I agree 100%. Ain't, ain't much to add there. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Uh, we, we have to get to a point where we, we get everybody in the room, whether it's white, black, Asian, Hispanic. Like, is, there's so many different cultures. There's so many different groups. And this is something that me and you talk about constantly because we, we love all kinds of horror films and foreign films, stuff like that. And we, that's part of the reason we love foreign films because you get mm-hmm. pieces of other worlds. Uh, Yeah, we just have to normalize getting those people in the room because that i feel like will breathe a brand new fresh air into the genre as a whole and the stories we get stories we'll get we'll get be, be even better we'll we'll get more of even more of the icons like michael J- michael myers freddy krueger chucky jason voice like we will get more of those icons in my opinion um more of the candy mans we will get and it's crazy that honestly, Candyman is the only black one I could think of off the top of my head. But uh, we we will get more icons like that if we get more of those people in the room. Yeah, most definitely. And um, even to quote Jordan Peele, like he said that how like he did make Get Out essentially for all audiences, but the prime audience was black. He did, you know, want everybody to watch it because he just wanted to prove to Hollywood and the associations that white people will watch. He did prove them wrong because everybody saw that movie. Everybody watched that movie. And us as well. Everyone saw us. And we have billions of dollars in proof in that. We're kind of forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace. Well, we have tons of proof of that. So mm-hmm. we know people will watch these films. You just have to make them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just fight for it. And that's too. I-, I hope it gets normalized to the point that we don't have to fight for them anymore. Yeah. But I think we're on, we're on our way. We'll get there. All right, so... We getting on out of here. I'll talk to you later, Jackie. All right, so stay safe out there.